Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of the prophet Isaiah. It is the opening eight verses of the sixth chapter. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings with two He covered his face with two, he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe! Is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as we hear this morning's New Testament reading. It is from Paul's letter to the Romans in the 8th chapter, beginning at verse 12 and continuing through verse 17. There he writes, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we say, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, Paul writes his brothers and sisters in the Roman church, must be he interpreted their modus operandi as one motivated by fear, and fear is not only unbecoming to the Christian, but it is wholly incompatible with the Christian life, for we have received a spirit of adoption. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom then shall I be afraid? Asked the psalmist rhetorically. 
Just as Jesus knew God to be his father, we are to know that Jesus has claimed us as co-heirs of the covenantal promises and therefore part of the family, children of God. Membership has its privileges. The old saying went that marketing from American Express, you may recall, well, much greater still are the benefits of being a member of this great family of God. Chief among the perks, Paul here declares, is that of living this life in freedom. Imagine living your life without fear, without fear of failure, without fear of financial insufficiency, without fear of public opinion, without fear of health challenges, without fear of anything at all. How much different an existence would this be? This living not according to the flesh and its manifold weaknesses. Instead, living to the spirit of power, which has overcome all the weaknesses of the flesh. Living for a God who has revealed himself powerfully in a vision to Isaiah and who has revealed himself powerfully in the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. This past Thursday, there was a presbytery meeting at which we welcomed a husband and wife clergy couple into the membership and the ministry of Newcastle Presbytery. It is customary to welcome clergy folk to our, our body by asking them a, a welcoming question during the presbytery meeting. And in his response to this question, the Reverend Dr. Len Hedges Gettle spoke about lessons learned from his years of practicing psychology. Chief among them, he said, was the frequency and the degree to which he so often underestimated the faith of people that he encountered in his practice. He has dealt with victims of traumas of so many different types, occurring at so many different times, from just out of the cradle to just before the grave. And many of those experiences, he said, had done seemingly little to diminish the faith of those so traumatized, despite what, whatever terrible circumstances they had undergone. Few of those he worked with had questioned God's sovereignty and concluded that turning their backs on God was, was not a part of their healing and restorative process. Though he didn't expressly say so in his brief remarks, we may infer that what he encountered in these people, by contrast, was a strengthening of their religious convictions and a deepening of their relationship with God. People who have been in dreadful and fearful situations had emerged with greater faith yet, in part, perhaps, because they have had firsthand knowledge of the powerful ways in which the God of all creation, 
has chosen to show forth the irrevocable adoptive power of the new covenant through Jesus and the quickening power of the Holy Spirit available to us all. Who or what then can stand against us? So church, I invite us to imagine being this church of Jesus Christ. Imagine, call and equipped by God through the empowering of his Holy Spirit to live out her mission without fear. Without fear of insufficiency, without fear of inconsequence, without fear of failure. By God, we're children of God. God's Spirit itself testifies to this fact. We are His royal heirs, joint co-heirs with the Son of God and Son of Man, Jesus Himself. We ought not to sell ourselves short. We ought not be led astray or disheartened by those voices which would try to persuade us of our unworthiness. For God has already gone to some pretty great lengths to show us just how valued, how dear, how loved we are. Despite all of our shortcomings, our faults, and our failures, each of us was created in the image of the divine, and we bear within us the spirit of our maker. It would go easier for us in this life if we did just lay it down and submit to the powers and the principalities of this world, if we just followed the demands and the desires of the flesh, if we just handed over the freedom that's been won for us in Christ, just as it would have gone easier for the hundreds of thousands of our fellow citizens, those to whom we dedicate a day of national memorial to, had they not committed themselves in the fullest measure to a cause more nobler than life itself, it would have gone much easier for them, for their friends, for their families. But that was not the path they chose. If the cause of liberty for their fellow citizens of this country and many other countries over the centuries as well, was great enough for them to contribute the ultimate sacrifice to, well, consider then the cause to which the Christian is called, as those who bear the name of the perfect atoning sacrifice, the one who gave himself up as our Savior, we are called to take up our crosses and follow. His way is not a way of ease, but it is a path of joy. His is the path of joy, the sort of which the flesh cannot know. For it does not call for setting aside our own comfort to contribute to a cause that is beyond our own lives. But Paul alludes to this notion of cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer would later call it. Christians 
must suffer in the manner in which Jesus himself did, but the cause for which this suffering is offered is a cause that has been produced and directed from the very beginning by the author of all of our days. So, what if we too were to more readily set aside our own desire to protect, to defend, and to uphold our flesh? What if we were instead to trust that the same God who created our flesh from the dust of the earth were faithful enough to sustain our flesh as long as was necessary before bestowing upon us something even yet greater? What if we were to concentrate instead on the life the Spirit is calling us to live to and for the glory of God through the manifestation of the kingdom of God to the world? What a different church, what a different world this might be. In a somewhat more common, if much less profound example than that which we as a country solemnly observed this weekend, recently my high school was having their annual alumni fund drive. When it concluded, they sent out word of the results of their efforts. My private school was pleased to announce that in 2021, they had a record-setting year among alumni fundraising. They received 509 individual gifts, totaling $137,482 last Tuesday. Of those who gave, 271 were alumni. Now, doing a little math here, yes, math does have its uses every once in a while. In the last 50 years, there were probably an average of 100 or so in each of our graduating classes. And that means that, that in the last 50 years, there have been roughly 5,000 graduates. Now, if you figure a mortality rate of about 20% among that group, well, that still leaves 4,000. So if 271 of that number contributed, that would work out to just under 7% or roughly 1 in 14. And the average gift was $270. So what is the point of doing this math? My daughters have asked this question more than once. The point in this case is to highlight a hypothetical what if. What if some of the 13 out of 14 other alums had made a gift? The cynical might well say that, well, then the chaplain of the school could afford a newer BMW. And yes, that's what he drove. The less cynical might say that more families could receive tuition assistance, thereby expanding the numbers of potential students and thereby increasing the number of potential contributors to future alumni giving campaigns. The rate of giving reported by my high school is in the ballpark 
of that reported by many other nonprofit agencies. According to information published at Nonprofit Source, only 5% of church members give regularly to their church. And the average amount of financial giving per person per week to a religious institution is 17 bucks. They note households with more than $75,000 in annual income are the least charitable. All this is not to say you need to give more because you've got a budget shortfall to address this year, but rather it's meant to say what if, what if the church took the lead in charitable giving? What if we showed less fear and more trust with our time, our talent, and yes, our treasure too, because we know intimately the gift of the Spirit that allows us to confront the fear of insufficiency. Similarly, what if the church took the lead in spreading the good news of the truth in a world that is awash in bad news and downright fake news? What if? That is, I believe, just the sort of question the Apostle Paul had for the church in Rome 2,000 years back, and it is just as relevant a question for Christians in our own day and time and place. We, too, face clear and stubborn obstacles to our life together and to our life as those who are charged with using the gifts of the Spirit to enable us to witness to the saving works of Jesus the Lord, to the glory of the Father. As preparations are getting underway for an October celebration of the 315th anniversary of the completion of our historic sanctuary, I look forward to returning to some of the what-if questions that Francis McKemney probably faced throughout his ministry here, as well as sharing in the holy work of this congregation, which we will be undertaking both before and after that very special observance, as we together consider the present state and the future direction of the mission and ministry of Old Rehoboth Church, ever mindful of the scriptural imperative to be servants whose minds are not set on the flesh, but rather upon the spirit. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to the triune God, and amen.